Avalon Fundamentals Fast Pitch Program was founded in 2017 with a goal to develop the skills of fast pitch players in Newfoundland at the grassroots level. Branded as Avalon Wave, the program is based out of the metro region of St. John's, Newfoundland, a well-known hotbed of fast pitch on the world stage. The Avalon Wave Base Program is offered to athletes aged 3 to 12 years old and runs for 8 weeks throughout the summer. The station-to-station base training allows for development through proper instruction and repetition. All the drills are communicated to the volunteer coaches in advance of the training session, such that the proper techniques are taught with each station. Starting with 60 athletes in 2017, the Avalon Wave membership reaches over 300 participants in 2020 through base program and additional camps and clinics. Avalon Wave believes that the success in growing the sport lies with building a strong foundation through developing the sport as a whole. Players, coaches, umpires, and volunteers. Through the countless volunteers that offer help each summer, Avalon Wave has seen extended not only the growth in the base program, but has recently developed both a boys and girls fast pitch team, which are getting ready to compete off the island in 2021. Any information regarding the program can be found on their website or through their social links, Facebook and Instagram. They hope everyone is staying safe and are looking forward to seeing you at the park soon. Happy Monday, everyone. Hope you all had a great weekend. Welcome to episode 10 of Outside the Shoot. I'm your host, Randy Frame. It's time to announce the OTC Player of the Week, and this week we're heading over to St. John's Senior Men's Softball League in Newfoundland, where the gangster rapper himself, Sean Cleary, takes home the honor. Sean had a fantastic week going 2-0 on the mound, allowing six hits, striking out 20, while at the plate he went 4-for-8 with a triple and a home run. Great job, Sean. Now on to this week's guest, and I had the pleasure to sit down and chat with Canadian Olympian Kaylee Rafter. Kaylee has had an amazing career to date, setting school records at University of Detroit, competing at the 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing, transferring to Florida State University for a final season, and leading the team in home runs and RBIs. And she's still going strong after hitting the home run to secure Canada a spot in the next Olympic Games in Tokyo, Japan. We're going to talk to Kaylee about all of these things, along with getting her start growing up, how good she is at badminton, getting into the coaching side of the game, as well as all the different MLB stadiums she has gotten to see over the years. This is a fantastic episode, everyone, with a true student of the game and someone who is a treat to just kick back and talk ball with. So as usual, grab that drink, sit back, relax, because here we go. I've got the world in my palm, lights, camera, action, it's on. Kaylee, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. How's things down in Tallahassee, Florida? Um, well, it's pretty warm. We're we're full into summer here. Um, obviously, it's a little bit different than up in Canada right now with with this whole virus going on. But um, we're in a little bit of a bubble here, so we're not too bad right now. Um, our area, our county's been pretty strict with restrictions, so we've been able to 
keep everything at bay for the most part, relatively speaking to other parts of Florida for sure right now. Right. That, I was going to ask you, you never got COVID, did you? <laughs> no, I have not. I don't think I have. <laughs> Good. So what's your take on everything going on down there? Like, like from up here, when we like, we'll watch CNN and they're like, Florida is like the epicenter of this whole COVID disease. So for being down there, what, what's your take on it? Yeah, it's it's tough because Florida's such a big state. So even from if you think of where Miami, which is kind of the area right now that is just the hot spot or the epicenter, I mean it's still an eight hour drive away. So it's it's pretty far geographically away from where I am. And Florida itself, from top to bottom, I think it's when you go all the way down to Key West, it's about a sixteen seventeen hour drive to get from one yeah. one side to the other. So it is pretty pretty big and pretty spread out, but. Um, Definitely a lot of a lot of people on edge right now. I think this, the south of Florida, if I was down there, it would be I think a lot different than where I am right now. But um, not a you can tell people are on edge. It's just it's just a different time in the world, and people are struggling with it. But I think here it's people are progressing as as normal or as, as I think as close to normal as they could right now. But I think at the same time, trying to be as safe as possible. Right. Right. Yeah. See here in the Maritimes in the East coast of Canada, like we, we've got maybe out of all four provinces uh, right now, maybe eight active cases. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we look at the news and we see what's going on down the States, we're like, wow. Like, the, like we kind of have it lucky up here in Canada. Yeah, for sure. No, it's 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 definitely. I think it was handled very differently. Um, I mean, I think I think the population of Florida is about twenty two million people as well. So you think about right, really two thirds of the population of Canada mm-hmm. in this one little one area. So uh, definitely handled differently, though, um, for better or for worse. Obviously, probably for better right now, looking at the cases and all that. But um, it's just tough. I mean, it's, it's a tough time. It's a tough time for everyone right now. Just trying to figure out what this means and how we're going to go forward. Yeah, for sure. So what, what have you been doing since the pandemic hit as far as, you know, keeping, keeping active? Yeah. So we had the first, I mean, we were so up in the air the first month that, I mean, we were at training camp out in Halifax. I think it was March 15th was their last day in, in Halifax. And that was right as everything was just starting to kind of blow up and things were starting to shut down. So at that point we left training camp thinking like, okay, maybe we'll have like two weeks shut down and then we'll be going again in a month. Um, we were still very hopeful at that point that we were going to play this summer, maybe after a month or two. So um, we kind of went back to our, our homes or our training environments and, and we're hoping for the best. And then obviously that, that kind of took a left turn and went down a completely different road. Um, so we, we, we were trying to stick with it for, for like a month or probably the first month there, thinking that there was still a chance that we would be going this summer at some point. Um, and then obviously once everything shut down, that, that kind of put a halt on everything. So once that, once that happened, we still had some lifts and, and different things to do, but it kind of went to looking ahead. Okay, now... I have 2021 is now a thing. What's going to be the most important thing for me to make that happen? And it and probably was money at that point. So mm-hmm. kind of got out and, and picked up a little landscaping job with um, a friend of mine. So I've, I've actually been working landscaping for the last two months. Jeez. So um, Holly, Holly, Holly Spears has been too. She, she was on the podcast and said the same thing. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a good for right now in coronavirus, you're outside, you're not really around people. So it's, it's a good little way to make some money and not 
and be able to stay in your bubble at this point. Right. So, um, yeah, I did hear that she was actually doing it too. Probably a little different with the heat down here, but, um, Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, so, so with every guest that I have on here, I always ask them when and where did you start, get your start in the game? Ooh, I was young. Um, my brother played baseball. So I, I was, I think four when I first, my first organized baseball or softball team. So oh, wow. I went the baseball route just because, um, yeah, actually, I think my mom like lied about my age first summer just because <laughs> so I could play. It was like a, a kindergarten, and she said I was in kindergarten. I was pretty tall at the time, <laughs> right. so they believed it. But um, yeah, so I was four my first summer. I remember playing t ball, and then um, just kind of end up getting into the boys' hardball circuit just because there was more teams at the time that mm-hmm. that we could play with. So we played a few years of girls t ball. And then once they went, we kind of went to the time where we were able to do rep, we started kind of going the boys route because there wasn't many softball teams around at that time. And then came back and made the switch over in, I think, sixth or seventh grade. I made the move back to softball. And then since then was playing softball full time. Okay. That's what I was, I was next question was going to be, you know, talk a bit about your minor ball program that you grew up in. So, so at grade seven, did you, was it all girls? program after that yep yep so it was all girls playing for the guelph gators um so that was the team that was back in the days when you kind of played for the town you lived in right. and then we had the inter-county league so we played in our area it was guelph kitchener waterloo cambridge palmerston i think was another team if, if any of your listeners are southern ontario people um but yeah so we played in the every tuesday night you'd go and you'd have like a game at another another city and you play one away, one home, and then you'd have like an inter-county championship. And then eventually, um, as you got older, you went to the provincials and, and all that. So um, played a few years with Gulf Gators. Our team folded when I was in eighth grade. This would have been six. So sixth and seventh grade, play with them. And then our team folded at the last minute in eighth grade. So then I ended up going to play for Brampton for a few years and then came back to finish up with Guelph. So okay. um, played for a few teams. And then we always had... I did have a few years just with back in for provincials. They, I think they still do it, but if your team doesn't make it for nationals, you can get picked up. Right. So I got picked up by Scarborough one year. So I played with them for one year as well, just for the last tournament. So, um, yeah, it was played for a few teams, but always kind of around where, where I grew up for sure. Right. So was that, was that like Bantam level or midget that I got picked up? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was, I want to say it was probably, I want to say 10th grade, 10th or 11th grade. Okay, so that would have been, that would have been. Because we had won, because, yeah, I think it was, because it was in 8th grade, we won, my 8th grade, we won Nationals, Novice. Then we won, um, ninth grade, we went to BC, played for Brampton. 10th grade, we won Bantam Nationals, and I ended up winning two Midget Nationals. Oh, wow. Yeah, it would have been 11th grade, because 11th and 12th, I won. Yeah, I think we won quite a bit. That was, we had some pretty good teams back in the day. Oh, right on. <laughs> so how, how was your, what was your take on the, on the, like, playing at the national level for the first time? Wow. Um, it was, just, it was such a different, I mean, we played some pretty high level, played some decently high level in college, but some of those teams, like the USA team, and even the teams when I first got on and seeing the USA team and just the, the talent that they had on that team, mm. when I first got into it, cause you're, you're just so new to it. You haven't seen that level of ball and every player from one through 15 is 
I remember, and the Japanese were so fast, and the Australians put together such a great team in 08, too. Um, they were just, it was just really, really good softball, and a little overwhelming when you first get into it, because you see all these players, like Benny Finch and Jess Mendoza, and yeah. <laughs> um, Crystal, like their whole roster from top to bottom was just stacked. Um, but then you kind of play in it a little bit, and you're like, all right, like I can kind of handle this, and, and you kind of get, as you get older and you, you, you get with it, you develop as well. So um, definitely grow into it. But but first first summer for sure was, was overwhelming and just the quality of ball. And like just there's no way to prepare for that coming from, from where I came from. But after that, it was just about, okay, how do I get as good as I can now to, to try to play with these kids or girls, I should say. Yeah. So how did, how did you get recruited for University of Detroit? Um, the coaches – when we were when we were growing up playing, it was pretty common for a lot of coaches, especially in the area in around Ontario. So your Michigan, your Ohio, Pennsylvania, um, a lot of those surrounding New York, upstate New York, those teams would always come across into Canada and, and come to the, our tournaments and, and recruit us. So went to a few. We'd go to one or two exposure tournaments or tournaments in the states a year, but um, it was pretty common for a lot of those a lot of the schools at that time to, to try to get a few Canadians. And there was, I think six or seven Canadians on our team down in Detroit. So he had a really good connection with um, just the softball programs, the minor league associations. And he just came and recruited us. And a lot of us just liked it. And we, we knew we can kind of play together. And um, yeah, we were, we just kind of went through that whole process and up deciding on Detroit and, the rest was the rest was history from there. So that that first season in two thousand and five, uh, you know, how was was there any growing pains? You know, entering NCAA or, or you know, like how was it, how was that first season? Oh yeah, I mean there was a huge. I mean, we kind of you learned real fast. Well, you didn't learn real fast. You learned one season hit that I always got by. Like I was always pretty, probably pretty talented. Didn't have to work. I wouldn't say I didn't have to work hard, but it wasn't like part of what I did to have to like go out and take extra reps and really, and it, it was tough. Like the level just was up a little bit and, um, never really got comfortable and, and never really kind of thought that I was performing the way I thought I could perform. Mm. Um, so for sure struggled through that first year in between positions a lot. We had a third baseman who was a senior, um, who they kind of recruited me to play third and then they had a, I had a catcher that was a junior at the time. So they were trying to find places for me and just never really got settled. So, um, and also like didn't prepare myself probably to perform the way I wanted to perform that freshman year. So it was, it was a huge learning curve. Um, didn't, I wouldn't say I did great that first year at all. Like I, I wasn't up to par for my standards or probably what they were expecting as well. Um, and then the, the following year just kind of really said like, I'm going to try to get extra hitting in. I'm going to try to, I mean, me and my, one of my, my roommates actually, Sarah Dickey, uh, we would go into the, the basketball arena and they put up nets on the side where the doors are. Okay. And we would just hit T into the nets and just kind of play, just go for an hour before like three times a week. And we do extra running and sprinting and just kind of re, dedicated ourselves to what we were trying to do. And and then second and third year, obviously the numbers went in a, in a positive direction. So, um, yeah, that's what I yeah, for sure. It, it was, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was just going to say like, it was, 
it, without that freshman year, I don't think I probably have the year I did as a sophomore and junior just because like if I had gone in and done okay, I probably would have done okay for two more years, mm. but didn't do really well. And then it, it was kind of like, shoot, I gotta, I gotta kind of work at this and rededicated myself a little bit. So I think it was, even though as much as probably freshman year sucked going through it, it, it was for sure worth it for the next two years. Right. I was going to say your sophomore season, you, you really came into your own where you, I mean, you broke the, the team record in home runs and got horizon league player of the year, that sophomore season. And then you followed that up the following season with like breaking the home run record and player of the year again. Um, yeah. So that, so definitely that in between those two seasons, that, that was your, just the work paid off, I guess. Yeah. hundred percent. And it was, it was everything. It was trying to do it like in the weight room and conditioning wise and just getting as many swings in and reps in as possible and putting yourself around people who want to do the same thing. And that becomes kind of the new normal. And then the numbers for sure, they, they spoke for, they spoke to that work ethic and that, that change in work ethic, I should say. Right. Is it true that you had a 420 foot home run against Loyola? <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the further home runs I've hit. I don't think it was 420 feet, but they That's, played it. Uh, so they had a, there was a soccer field. So there's a soccer field, probably like, I mean, there's a pathway obviously around the soccer field where people walk. Right. And I think they had, a, they had an apartment complex there. And I want to say it was like probably a five or six story apartment complex, but I actually managed to get one on top of the apartment complex. Oh my <laughs> um, God. I don't, it was not 420 feet. I, I will say <laughs> that, but um, I know the coach at the time was joking that she's like, I've, I've never seen anyone hit it that far, but um I've seen some further ones in my day for sure. I think that was some other people definitely have me, but I have pretty long levers. So when I can get into them, I can usually get them pretty far, but yeah, that's well, a 420 foot. The key with home runs though, whether they go like 350 feet or 220 feet, all that matters is that they get over it. It doesn't go down as it's still a home run, no that's, matter how far over the fence it goes. That's so true. It. I'd rather consistently hit them 220. Yeah. Then have won it 400 and then not, not touch 200 for the next seven or eight games. <laughs> exactly. No, I totally agree with you. Uh, so yeah. in, in two th- that, after you were done that last, well, Oh seven with Detroit, you, uh, you got named to the national team. Uh, mm-hmm. like you touched on a little bit. What was, what was your feeling like, like getting the word that you're going to represent the country? I was so shocked. Like I was not, they actually sent it in an email. And I remember I was in my coach's office in, um, cause at that time, like it didn't have, I had a computer back at my, back in my dorm, but we were over at, in, in our coach's office. And I said, Hey, like, can I, can I check this? They, I think the emails went out this morning. So I like went in the office by myself to look at it and they had named, it was that I think that summer there was four different teams. So Canada Cup was a team at the beginning of summer. I think had twenty two players, and then we went to Oklahoma City, and that had twenty players. And then for Pan American Games, there's a roster limit for any multi sport events. So I think there was fifteen players for Pan American Games, and at the end of that summer was World University Games. So for those, you had to be in university full time in order to be eligible for that. So that was a completely different, like 18 man roster for that one. So they had all these, kind of like you're reading through 
all these like different rosters are trying to figure out. And I remember like seeing the first one, like, Oh sweet. Like Canada cup, like my name was there. And then it was the next one was Oklahoma city. I was like, crap, my name's there again. And then like, surely I'm not going to make the Pan Am roster. Cause that's only 15 players. And my name was there. I was like, Oh my God. <laughs> and then for the world university game. So it was kind of like, like little mini gut punches four times over. And then I was pretty shocked that, um, I was there, but, um, obviously they kind of saw something that they were intrigued about. And, um, cause there's just, there's so many good players at that. There's 40 players that could get that tryout right. and yeah. so many good softball players that you just, you don't know kind of what they're looking for. And when you get that like positions and, and how many positions they want of catchers and pitchers. And it, it really makes that, it makes the, the, the bubble, the roster bubble pretty tight. Yeah, for sure. Like oh, now that first Pan Am games that you went to, you won silver medal in Brazil. Like, uh, yep. That must've been an eye opener. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, Brazil is like first time for me traveling, um, like to a third, what I would call like a, a developing nation or, or a third world country Right. had gone over to, I think I, we went on a trip to Paris. Uh, so I saw that was probably the furthest away from, I mean, kind of as a kid, we went down to the islands once, but that's, you're on it. You're in a resort. So you never really see what the islands have to offer, but you were kind of right in the heart of like favelas, Rio de Janeiro, poor of the poor. And it's, it's, it's a big kind of eye opener. and, And then we're there to play softball and we're there to, um, compete at this huge, these huge games and and it's it's definitely just just going to one of those events um whether like a pan ams in toronto the events is one thing but then you throw on traveling to these developing nations and seeing how they're trying to put on these events is a whole nother it's just another level so it's it was an eye-opener to to say to put it lightly um and it's kind of, it was weird just even now, like looking back, like you kind of, it's a little bit of a struggle to kind of come with grips with like, we're there to play softball and there's like people all around us that are just poor. Like, it's just, it's, it's really tough to kind of, to it, like mentally come to grips right. with what that was, what that is. And, and keep your mind, okay, we're here to play softball, we're here to play softball, but you're, it's just, you're, you're there and you're right in it. It's tough. It, it's oh, hard yeah. to kind of. It would be it would be in the back of your mind for sure. I mean, once you see it for the first time, you're like, oh wow, like this is totally different than what we're living, like like what we live in. Yeah, just like I mean, they brought in they had the they brought in the military to run security, and we had like armed guard, and you'd have just guys with AK 47s come on your bus to check passes. Like you're just <laughs> that's not a part of our normal day to day in Canada. Not at all. To be up close with these guys walking around with AK 47s and like full on body suits of armor. Like that's, it's not what, what we're used to. So mm-hmm. it's, it, you have that part and then you're like, Oh shoot, I'm, we're here to play softball and we're here to compete and we got to, we got to play really well. So, um, interesting first summer for sure. No doubt. <laughs> now the, the following year, 2008, you got named to the uh, Olympic team. I'm, uh, I'll let you have it. This how like just 2008 you go, how was the experience? Yeah, um, it's like everything people, well, I guess it, they try to prepare you so well for what you're going to see. And it's, it's going to be overwhelming. And, and, and it's just, 
you say, okay, like I got it, I can handle it. And it's just, it's way more, it's crazy how much people can change and the pressure. It's just different. Like it is just, it's an amazing, amazing experience. Like you will never be around a collection of such like driven, motivated people just going to the weight room at an event like that. And you see people over on the rowers just going on the ergs going nuts for an hour at a pace that nobody should ever be going on an erg. And then you have runners and you have weightlifters in there throwing up like hundreds of pounds over their head, just like it's nothing. And it's just like a collection of people who are so gifted and so talented at their craft. And then you're there and you're like, man, like I'm one of these people. I am, I'm one of the 1% that, that has been able to excel and get to a level at their sport that not many other people get to. And, it's a lot like, and you train eight months for that. Probably like eight months straight. You are like this, the Olympics, this is where we're going. Like, this is what we're doing. And then it's there. Mm. Um, and then it's two weeks and then it's done. Right. So there, there's so many, just the emotion, one of being there. And then two, just everything that's tied up with being at the Olympics is one of the most rewarding experiences I've ever had, but also one of probably the most, emotionally and physically draining experiences I've ever had as well. Right. So like the, I talked to Jen Yi about this on a, a couple, mm-hmm. couple of weeks ago. Um, and we talked about the opening ceremonies and she said like how, how amazing that was, but she didn't really get the, like you guys really couldn't see everything that was going on. So from your perspective, how, how the opening ceremonies, what was that like? Yeah. Like people don't realize how, how much, like walking in when they call Canada and you walk in like top moment in my sporting career, hearing your name called and the emotion of kind of walking under that tunnel. Cause you, you come at the stadium and you, you walk down under this big like entry tunnel and you come up into the stadium. So mm. you kind of down and then you start walking up and you know, you're getting close as, as you're kind of coming up the tunnel and like that emotion and being around like your team and other, other countrymen like that, hands down best probably one of the best experiences but like the amount of time to actually have that moment like people don't realize i think the game or the the opening ceremonies for beijing it was august 8th at 808 p.m because eight is a lucky number in chinese culture so they wanted to start it with on a day so it was august 8th 2008 eight o'clock month eight month eight days eight p.m so everything they did was 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 for that but like we started i think we caught the buses at at 4 30 in the afternoon we were staging in the village in full like opening ceremonies attire we're staging we're ready to go they're grouping us together and then at 5 30 we're headed to the buses we get a bus and then because you can't be on like we as the athletes can't be on the the soccer or like the, the infield of the stadium while they're doing the whole show. Right. So we're over there at like six 30, we're in the volleyball, we're in the volleyball arena and we're all just sitting there it's about like a half mile, probably three quarters of a mile away from the main uh, bird's nest stadium. So we're just all hanging out there from like seven 30, eight o'clock. We hear fireworks are starting. Okay. So all right, now they're going to start moving us because they got to move. 3,000 people from one spot to another. That takes time. Oh my God. So they line us all up and they, they start moving us at around like 8 15. 
So it takes about 45 minutes to get us over there. And then we start to, now they're starting the country. So an hour later, so now it's what, 930. They start announcing the countries. <laughs> and you just, you're going in, Canada gets called, you walk around, it's cool. But now you have Canada is pretty high in the alphabet and it goes alpha order. So now you're just chilling in the infield <laughs> while everyone else is getting called. And you're going through another 100, 100 countries. Well, that takes that's two and a half, three hours right there of just kind of sitting in the infield, wow. letting everyone have their moment. And then after that, what do you got? You got the, the flame, right? So mm-hmm. now it's like, okay, now we got to let everyone talk because all the athletes are in there. So we have the IOC has to talk. The host committee has got to talk. So everyone's going through their little spiel. And then they got to light the fl- light the flag so or light the torch, excuse me. So um, that's another hour and a half, probably that. So now all of a sudden it's one or two in the morning and you've left at, and it was probably a hundred well, Celsius, probably 40 degrees Celsius on the infield. There was, um, oh, man. they had dancers that had lined the whole infield. So these like dancers are kind of clapping and they're all doing their little dances and they were just dropping. Like they would drop and their two people would run over, like carry them off down a tunnel. And another person would run out and start dancing in their position. Like, what it was they were passing out because they were dancing the whole they were like kind of doing jumping jacks for like two hours and it's 40 degrees and humid as all get out like we were just dripping sweat and they weren't allowed to stop because for every country they're just like clapping and Mm. dancing and they would legit just drop over someone would come and like pull them off and another person would just run in and take their spot and start dancing and clapping like it was unreal oh my just what like so that's like the story behind opening ceremony or yes, the opening. So yes, was it worth it? Yes. But it's a production. It's seven, eight hours of standing hot, not a lot of water. Cause you can't bring stuff in. Mm-hmm. There's just a lot that goes to into that, that people on the outside, you don't really think about when you're just kind of hanging out, watching it on TV. Right. So did you get, did you get to run into any of the U S basketball team? So we, I actually, I did. So after the opening, funny story, after the opening ceremony, they just, it's just, a, so as you go over, you, you get bussed over. So they have buses to all the venues. So there's probably, and then what they probably have a two or 300 buses that are um, taking, consistently taking people to different spots at the Olympics. So every, every time a team has to leave, there's obviously a bus that'll take them there. So they run, it's a huge product transportation issue. So an opening ceremony, we all, we would go over with our, like your team. So Canada is going to go on buses two, three, and four. But once it's done, they just want to get you back to the village as fast as possible. So it's just a free for all out of the village or out of the opening ceremonies. They just load buses. And as soon as the bus is full, it just goes. So it's, it's quicker just to take them. Cause if you're trying to wait for everyone, it's, it's just a nightmare. So as soon as the bus is full, the bus leaves and they just keep sending buses. So we get on the, we get on not really knowing, like it's just kind of a rush onto the bus. And sure enough, it was like Kobe mellow. And I think like Chris Paul or someone like that was on our bus back from, um, opening ceremonies, but no one was like, wow. obviously no one went up and was like, Hey, can I, but you just look at like, Oh shoot. That's like legit Kobe mellow. And I want to say it's Chris Paul. Right. Still, that's someone sick. else. Maybe Iverson might have been Iverson back then. Yeah, but <laughs> Iverson was probably pissed off. He had to be there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
so when the, when it came to the competition uh, at the at those games, uh, one thing I come across: you hit a three run home run against the Netherlands. And I think you became one of the youngest yep. to ever hit a home run in the Olympics. You recall that, do you? Yep. Yep. I have. A, I think I was twenty. I turned twenty one. I would have been twenty one at the time. Yeah. So I think that was. I think I was one of the one of the youngest to hit a home run there. Okay. Maybe if I could hit a home run in twenty twenty one, I could be one of the oldest, and that could be oh, a cool wow. little fun yeah. fact. That's like the new little. <laughs> I actually didn't know that until someone else told me that a few years later. They're like, "Oh yeah, you were the youngest," and I was. I didn't didn't really think about think twice about it. But I was like, I guess I could be probably twenty one would have been definitely one of the younger um, younger people there. There was a few younger than me, but I don't think mm. any of them hit a home run. So definitely possible. Right on. Before we move on, outside the shoot, we'd like to thank one of their sponsors, Prodigy Sports. Located at 9 Simmons Road in Bedford, Nova Scotia, Prodigy Sports is your leading supplier of team, league, and school sporting good products. Prodigy Sports prides itself in its unique working relationships with all the major name brands in the athletic industry and has an extremely close working relationship with sporting good manufacturers around the world. This combination makes Prodigy Sports your number one supplier of sports equipment, clothing, and supplies. Please join them by looking further into their website, prodigy-sports.com, and discovering the world of Prodigy Sports right at your fingertips. If you have any questions about their company or any of their products, please feel free to contact them at 902-446-4645. So after, after the Olympics were over, you decided to transfer to FSU. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Was it was it hard leaving Detroit to go to FSU? And maybe tell like what what was the reasoning behind the move? Yeah, so I decided after. So in '08 we had we had a red shirt, so we it was we were training full time with the Canadian team, so we had to take a red shirt year, right? Um, and just being with being with the Canadian team and kind of the competition and the level we played at, like in the back of my mind. I knew I had probably achieved what I was going to achieve at Detroit Mercy. And I really wanted to play for my last year of division one softball. I, I wanted to play like as competitive as, of a schedule as I could. And I just, I knew that probably wasn't going to be at Detroit. I knew I was probably going to get walked a ton. Like I think I, I said, um, I was getting, I think I had 30 walks and 120 at bat. So yeah. I was getting walked about a four at one out of every four at bats in my junior year. And I was just like, it's probably, it's going to be really hard for me to go back and want to compete at the highest level in NCAA and also like be playing at Detroit at that time. And and so I had a conversation with the coach and the athletic director and they they kind of thankfully completely understood and, and gave me their blessings to kind of seek a release and, and then look for a team. Um, so I, I reached out to a few programs. I kind of was in touch with a few programs. Ended up actually deciding on at, on UNLV, which is where our, one of our assistant coaches for Canada coached at. And then, so I, w- I was all planned out, ready to go to UNLV. And then she actually got the job at Florida State in co- August. Coach Almeida. So like right, yeah. So yeah. Coach Almeida. So right before we left for Beijing she got called and flew down to Tallahassee for two days, interviewed, got the job, came back and met us, actually flew to Japan to meet us. Um, so it was really late. And I was like, Oh shoot. Like that's, you're going to Florida state now. Um, 
So thankfully they had a little bit of money left over and I was able to kind of actually pull Florida State not ever ever having been here. Um, ended up just, can I get into school? I can, let's, let's do it. So I'd never been here, never seen the university. Um, and I, we were headed over to Japan to play or Japan to stage to go to the Olympics in, in China. So um, it was kind of a crazy last minute turn of events, but ended up, ended up being really well and, and was able to kind of play a top 25 schedule or last year play at Florida, who was ranked number one um, at the time. So it was a really good move and totally, and everything ended up working out for the best for sure for me. Well, yeah, I was going to say you played in all 60 games that season and, you know, most players have a hard mm-hmm. time adjusting to new surroundings, but anyway, you led, you led the teams in home run team in home runs and RBIs hit 333. I mean, yep. that's, that's pretty good adjustment going into a new school. Yeah, it was. And I had, I think as I, as I kind of matured in the Canadian, the year off training with them, like I was in a, a much better place my my going into Florida State, I was I was a completely different player than what I was as a freshman going in Detroit. So that kind of that experience helped get me to where I needed to be in my sophomore and junior years. And then that time off um, really kind of helped me and, and playing with the national team put me in a really good good place to come in and be a difference maker that first year at Florida State. So um, it was it was definitely a culmination of the five years before that getting getting to that spot but was able to definitely come in and and have a little bit of an impact for sure well yeah the olympics must have had a huge impact on you guys because i mean like jen jen yi the season she had after the olympics was ridiculous as well so i mean you guys that played at the olympics like going into that ncaa season you guys must have been like the balls must have been beach balls for you guys because you guys had phenomenal seasons yeah, it's definitely, I mean, you learn so much about yourself in those, when you're, when you're training for an event like that, like we were, we were 12 months before that of like, I'm not like we were, I was six to eight hours a day on the softball field. Like you're just, you're at a different, there's like college level and then there's the NCAA level. And then like, you just don't have time as a college athlete with a full class load and tutoring and, and all these other things to really to give yourself to being a full-time athlete. And, and we're kind of seeing that right now with us. Like I don't have the time now to, to do a job and do softball because it's, it's a full-time commitment. So when you're able to kind of hit the pause button halfway through your college career and say, I'm going to go full-time in and just completely dedicate myself to the sport and then you you come back like you're just so far ahead of the game to everyone else who's been just trying to manage through school and manage softball as a part time job. Right, right. Now that that first season at FSU, I, I come across that all the all the coaches on the coaching staff were that was their first seasons as well. Like, yep, maybe, they all came over from UNLV. Oh, the whole staff did. Yep. Oh wow, that's good. How like how how do you think they handled it? For like coming into a new school? Um, it was, I mean, it's always a learning curve. It, it's tough those first, first two years, three years, really to kind of get your, get your feet wet. But I mean, they did a great job. Like we kind of, we didn't miss really miss a beat in terms of where they left off the kind of the progress to, I mean, here they making the postseason and then make winning a regional, going to super regionals, making it to the world series. And then obviously 
uh, well, not obviously, but then them winning in 18, like it's, they've carried on that, that, that winning kind of culture and, and progressed fairly consistently through, but it's always tough when you're first, like everything's just new and it's like starting a new job. And, um, but they handled it really well. They, they knew they'd been coaching together for a while. So they, they knew each other and it's more just implementing the same system that you had at a different spot, but it's new players and, and new, um, new surroundings, but everything, um, they rolled with it pretty well. Right. That last game of the season, you guys lost one nothing in twelve innings to Oklahoma State. Uh, yep. <laughs> what, what do you What do you remember about that game? That's a That's a tough one. Huh. What don't I remember about that game? I'm actually pretty good at remembering games. So I remember I was I had a a ball down the left field line that it, I hit the wall foul that would have been a double and probably scored a run. That was frustrating. Um, <sighs> but we actually lost. We ended up scoring the run on a. There's an O2 rise ball up in the zone that our pitcher just lost a little bit. So it was a, uh, I don't think they would have scored. Like we might've been playing 25 innings that day, but it was honestly, uh, I think it was a, a one out single and then advanced rover. She got the third and then it was just a rise ball out of the zone that she lost. And she was up O2 with two outs and she just threw it too high and, and got over my head. And, and that's how it ended. But, so that was a little bit of a, a tough way to finish out. But, um, I mean, it, it is what it is. We, we didn't hit the ball that well that weekend. We were kind of relying on a few people that, to do some damage. But um, we just weren't able to cash across any runs up until that point. But mm. So that's kind of how it goes. But definitely a tough loss. Yeah, so. for sure. Oh, no doubt. <laughs> now, I noticed that uh, Sarah Hamilton, Therese Gilbert, and – they either got the win in all or the loss in all 60 of those games that year. But you also had Lauren yep. Barcelona. Uh, yep. Maybe talk about, about them, how they were as a staff. Yeah. So actually it was kind of as um, coming in, I know like Sarah Hamlet, she was a freshman, but she, she got very little innings. She had a devastating changeup though. So um, it was really nice to have, her, her and Therese were a one-two punch for sure for that whole season. But um, Sarah was a pretty good, like sneaky little rise ball, but really, really great changeup that right. we threw a ton. And then um, Therese threw harder and on your hand. So it was a really good compliment to, we could go to kind of an upspin with a changeup and then go to someone who was, was a little more velocity and, and going to come in and attack hitters on their hands a little bit. So right. yeah. a, a really good compliment. And then Lauren Barcelona, who used a little less often, but she had a, a really good drop ball. So three pitchers who complimented themselves very well and just, or complimented each other very well on just their stuff. And then it became just a chess match of, okay, how do we want to implement, how do we want to line them up in a series to go after, um, to go after different teams. So it might be Therese, if we were, maybe we were facing a team who were, a little bit slower bats want to play short game. Maybe we went on to like Therese would throw two out of the three games or big swingers who were susceptible to the change ups there would go two out of three games. So it worked out really well when you have pitchers who have different strengths, like the two of them did. And, and I think that was the beginning of, of Hamilton Sarah really kind of coming into her own as um, one of the, one of the better Florida state pitchers that we've had. And, and Therese followed that up with, with her good senior year and, Sarah had three more really good years at Florida State. So um, really kind of the, the springboard, I think, for them to establish themselves as, as quality 
kind of career career pitchers at FSU. Yeah, they had fantastic stats for sure. I, I was I was like yeah. when I was doing my research there, I was going through. I was like, wow, they had they had great stats for for their for their whole careers there. Uh, yeah. yeah. Actually, when I was doing my homework, I came across a few things in your uh, Seminole Season Preview Media Guide. That <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> one was you said, and I quote: "If I wasn't playing softball, I'd be playing basketball or trying to make it as a badminton player." And then in brackets, not kidding. Oh, uh, badminton. <laughs> yeah, we were man. I was well. Actually, my best friend growing up, we were. Um, we were we were pretty good at badminton. It was like our sport. I mean, it's it's kind of a good little overhead overhead swing. If you can throw a ball, you can swing a badminton racket pretty well. But we actually, I think, when we were seniors, we got invited to the junior national camp for badminton. But just with everything with softball season and all that, like there's just no way. But oh, wow, um, I would have for sure. I love I, that is one sport I like love to play. I never played anymore because it's nobody down here plays badminton. But yeah. If I could go back and like do it again, like I would, I would totally play badminton for fun. Badminton or squash, more racquetball, but yep. those two sports. I like, can't play tennis because for whatever reason I can't hit a ball and play in tennis. But um, I'm the same way. I'm the, I, yeah. I don't understand tennis. But to badminton, I I won intramural mixed doubles in badminton in high school. So <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, hey, it was. I think her and I, we were, we played. I don't think we ever lost. Like we have District Ten as our district, and then Kwasa. I don't think we ever lost a game in Kwasa. Now, when we get to Offsa, which is all in Ontario, we were a little more challenged, but right. we never really we didn't lose a, a game in Kwasa for ever. I don't think. Wow, that's that's pretty impressive, yeah. actually. And, Way back, playback. Yep, for sure. <laughs> now, another thing I came across was in that was uh, what I want to be when I graduate. And said, if my Ooh, dream of being a national speed eating champion doesn't work out, I plan to have a career in the field of criminal justice or go play softball overseas. Oh, yes. Now, there's the sarcasm at the first part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> national speed eating champion. That was, I mean, we were probably, that was probably a joke on the team at that point. And I, that was me being sarcastic for a laugh. Oh, but, yeah. 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 I, I, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I guess I got my master's in criminal or criminology at the time, or I guess still criminology. But um, yeah, actually, that was, that was not, my next that, that was my next thing. We majored in criminology, and I was like, is that like yeah, is that like a CSI episode or like what? What's, what's uh, so that entail? A little bit different. So that would be criminology is more the study of why people commit crimes. So oh, okay, um, you would be more in like we had a lot of policy classes. There was a lot of prison. Like we did a lot of um, survey work with prison populations and understanding kind of and the reentry part. So um, you would kind of I guess have a person who studies that either you're doing research for a city who wants to try to eliminate uh, crime in a certain neighborhood. And, and they would kind of come in and give recommendations or possibly like police reform and different things like that. So um, it's more like the theory of why people commit crime and how to el stop people from committing crime in the future rather than criminal justice is a little more the actual like policing side of it or implementation of, certain things in a, in a much smaller context. So there's a lot of theory behind the criminology portion, but 
when it, when I finished it, I did get my master's in criminology. Um, I was kind of debating, do I go do a PhD? But I just, my heart wasn't in doing research for that stuff. And, and I ended up going to, I did my master's in sports management after that. Um, just so I would, I, I thought I could see myself in sports after I kind of got to the criminology and I knew that that's where my heart was and, and where I'd probably want to end up. So I ended up getting my master's in that. And that for sure has been probably the degree I use a little bit more right now. Um, and, and just in coaching and, and all those types of classes. And, and I was able to play overseas. So I was 50% or 33% on my things I wanted to do when I grew up. Well, actually that was my next thing. Uh, well, before we got to the, your coaching part of it, uh, I was going to talk about, uh, playing professionally over Japan for that year in 2013. Uh, yep. Does it, does the Japanese game differ than the North America game? Cause I mean, like in the men's game, I know like it's, it's more small ball. Is it, is it the same over there? Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're definitely, adapting to more of an Americanized game. I will say there's a way bigger focus on defense. If there's one big difference, I think their attention to detail and the way they play defense is at a a completely different level than, than the North American game. I will say when they, when I first came into the international scene, I think there was probably a lot more small ball. They had a lot more slappers, but I don't think, Thinking of their roster right now, there's not one person that's just a small ball slapper. They may lay down a drag bunt, but they all swing away and they all like try to do damage when they swing. It's not probably not the sellout spin, like dip and lift, try to hit the ball 300 feet that the American game is maybe has a little bit more prevalent. But they're in their own way, they're trying to they're trying to hit the ball and and do damage in terms of extra base hits now a little bit more than I would say. Probably back when um, I first was around them in the inter- international circuit. Right. So how'd you adapt to the uh, the culture over there? It was tough, man. It was awesome. Like it was awesome. Like when I say tough, just their their view of the workday is drastically different than ours. So we would uh, they would actually we I played for Honda. Um, so all the girls that played for Honda, they would actually, they work for the company as well. So they would go into work and work from eight to 12. Right. Um, we wouldn't have to go in and work. We would just stay behind. And then our translator would come pick us up at 12. We would head to the field and we would, we would start at the field at around 1230. Um, and it was, we would never be done before we had lights on our field. And at the earliest, like 6.30 would probably be finishing up practice, maybe, um, probably more like 7.30 or 8.30, we would be done with practice. And we would go like one day off, of, one day off a month. So um, on the weekends, on Saturday, Sunday, we were going from 8 a.m. we were at the field and we would not leave until at least 5 p.m. when the factory, the other factory workers would be getting off as well. So, oh, wow. Um, it was eight to 12 hours a day softball. And that was every day. Um, so that was a lot of getting used to, but at the same time, I'm like a softball junkie and I love softball. So I was kind of in my element of should I get to practice for like eight hours today and and kind of play around with different things and learn some new things and watch what they do and what do we do and what do they do? And where's, is there common ground? So it was, it was really fun for me to kind of be around that for two years and just, and see kind of the differences. Um, but at the end of those, at the end of those two years, like I was, 
I was done physically. I don't know if I could have continued to do it as a catcher. Right. Are you finding it hard physically to get to the gym these days? That was me. Hi, I'm Allie Hybers. I grew up playing sports and going to the gym regularly. But after my second baby, Leo, was born, I just couldn't find the time anymore. So I started working out from home, which I never really considered before that because honestly, I thought I would get bored. I didn't think I'd get great results from home. Well, I was humbled. I ended up getting in better shape than I ever was before in less time. I fell in love with the different workout programs. There was HIT, sports training, yoga, dance, weightlifting. I was never getting bored. And I totally fell in love with the online boot camp I was a part of. It was a group I could check into every day for accountability, support, motivation, and nutrition support too. Being able to focus that time each day on me while the kids napped or watched cartoons was a game changer. So now I run my own online boot camps. If you're looking for some guidance to up your fitness level at home or you're just not sure where to get started you can find me on instagram it's ally underscore hybers underscore fitness or you can send me an email too it's allyhybers at gmail.com now you you saying that you're a softball junkie is, is that why you got into coaching in 2015 I think so. I mean, that's kind of always where I saw myself. Like, I, I love being around it. I will say, like, coaching's, coaching's a very good when you're trying to play still. Um, there's a lot of leniency with a lot of different programs, thankfully, of here's some time off in the summer while the other coaches are recruiting to go play. Um, so usually most softball programs are pretty flexible if you want to still continue to play and pursue that side of the that side of it that they will allow you to go do that. So there was a little bit of a, of a hook there that I could play and also work in, in the off season and, and be around it. So, um, but I would, I, I would have, even if I wasn't playing, I would have, I would be coaching. And I think I probably when I'm done, I, I will get back into coaching and see kind of where that avenue takes me. But I, I do, I enjoy it. I'm, there's not many happier places for me than, than on a softball field. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, I want to move on to the Olympic qualifier that yeah. got you guys into the Olympics. Uh, talk about losing that Olympic qualifying game to Mexico 2-1. I understand that uh, that after that loss, you, Danielle Laurie, and uh, Jen Salling met after the loss. Uh, can you take us through what was said in that meeting? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just when you're in, like it was such an emotional game. And I think when that we knew, everyone knew that if we won that game, we would have qualified. And I think putting that game into perspective with the way things kind of happen in the sense that we, we had that moment where we could have closed the door and won the game. And we made a, probably a few errors and, and mental mistakes that we didn't do it. And I think keeping perspective that one, it was completely in our control, whether we were going to qualify or not, like nothing had changed in terms of we control the future. If we beat Brazil, we were in, like we knew that. So don't need to freak out. But I think there was a lot of things that happened in that game that we were a lot better for. We're going to be a lot better. We are a lot better for now and we will be a lot better for at the, at the Olympics or the next big event that we have because of what happened. I think it exposed some of our 
not weaknesses, but just explosive areas and some things that we have to get better at. And I think having those conversations and, and being aware of that in those moments where it's very emotionally charged and, and understanding that those, sometimes those are really good things to happen. And, and that's, I think probably the, the crux of what we discussed a lot of is one, don't freak out. We're everything that we wanted is still completely in our grasp. And two, I would much rather that happen in a qualifier than at the Olympics. Yeah, and if, enough, if yeah. we just lose sail to the Olympics and we never had any adversity, we would not like, that's the last place that you want to have adversity show up that you haven't dealt with before. So yeah. Yeah. great that it happened. Awesome that it happened. Perfect. Now we can address it. Now we can be better for it. And I would much rather take that there, even though it wasn't in, in home in front of home crowd and all that, but that's the time for that to happen. I think being very kind of clear and getting on the same page with that as, as the veteran group and how we wanted to go forward. Now we'll move on to the, the Brazil game. Walk <laughs> us through that home run. What? Like walked it off to send, send you back to the Olympics for the first time since 2008. That must've been unreal. Yeah. Somebody was writing a cool story for that one. I would um, say. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. <laughs> uh, it was kind of not, well, funny we were actually talking about it i mean it was we were up six nothing and and we had talked before that game that it would be a shame if we were playing that game and we got to a point where like we didn't have our moment like everyone kind of wanted that moment we had been waiting so long to have like that moment where we could all celebrate together and we were at like at home play or something happened where that was it. And and we all got to kind of share and experience that because it was a long time for, for me, for some of those players who, who came in, like I, Vic Hayward came in in 2009, I believe like she's been playing for 13 years without ever a sniff of like an Olympic moment or chance. Oh, that's right. Yes. So for someone to, to, to kind of like, there was, we had quite a few girls that came in right after that last cycle and, they've been giving their lives to this for how many years and they've never even had that as an option. So it was a very like emotionally charged moment and a lot of, a lot of time and a lot of hard work that went into that, that one little moment. So um, knowing that we were the home team, like we were kind of saying like, God, it would suck if we just like ended on kind of like a strikeout. And then you have your outfielders that are like 250 feet away <laughs> yep. that are trying to like run in. Like it's like anticlimactic, right. Or yep. someone like grounds out. And like it's just a little bit less of a like, Oh shoot. Everyone's trying to get out of the dugout and run. So like, wouldn't it be cool if we could like walk it off or have that like one time. So I was honestly hundred percent thinking about, it. I thought about it leading like when I finished as the on deck batter in the, in the inning before I was like, man, I'm going to have a chance right here. I'm going to have a chance in the fifth to like, I'm going to have a chance to end it or I'm going to at least have a chance to put a swing on it to possibly end it. And we're going to walk it off and we're going to mercy them in that moment. So we got the three outs. I remember like, I was like, I'm going to go for it. Like I'm going to try to swing and hit this ball. And then she got down two Oh on me I was either two or one zero, and I was—I had a feeling I was like she could throw the changeup here. I had a feeling she might throw it. Um, sometimes when you're hitting, you get those feelings that. Right. But I had a pretty good suspicion that she might try to sneak a changeup in there, down on the count. If she dirts it, 
she's probably going to walk me anyway, so it doesn't matter. So I was sitting change up or at least in there with the understanding that like, if she throws a change up here, let me try to get one and, and get off my backside a little bit and get into one. So, um, put a good swing on it, hit it center field and wasn't quite sure if it had the legs, but it, it had enough legs for sure. Um, and then it was just getting around the bases and getting back to the team and, and having that celebration at home plate. Yeah. There's, there's nothing like a walk-off really. Like the excitement of a walk-off is just unreal. Yeah. And especially being at home too. Like that, that was awesome. Yeah. I mean, it was like the perfect, the Sunday, the crowds were full. Like it was just so many Canada cups before that. And the, and the job that they've done, like Greg, Tim, who's, who's just been such a supporter over the years when it wasn't an Olympic sport and keeping softball relevant in Canada for us and, and having a place to play for us, like all of that work that they've done to, to keep it going, to even have the opportunity to host, host the qualifier and then have like the final, it was, just, it was just really cool. Like it was, it was very special to even be in the opportunity to do that for them in that situation. And then being able to deliver is, is kind of surreal a little bit and, and all of that. Right. So you touched on a little bit before, when we first started talking about uh, training in Halifax. Uh, how, how did you like the East Coast? Holly found it was too cold here. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking to someone who the first chance they got has been down in Florida and doesn't like going back. So cold to me is if we're under 15 degrees, that's chilly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but at the, at the same token, I'm very anti-winter jacket. So I didn't bring a winter jacket to Halifax and everyone was kind of mad at me. I'm like, I'm not going outside. Like I am not going outside. I will walk to the car and I can survive that 10 seconds and I will walk in from the car. And that's my extent of being outside. So, um, I mean, I thought it was awesome. Like Halifax, uh, been to Newfoundland once, been to PEI once. We had nationals out in PEI. So I really, I would totally um, move back or move or spend time in the East Coast. Like I think it's a different pace of life for sure. I think people are really, really friendly. Um, I thought Halifax, the city, was, was really, really cool. Wish we had a little bit of time to kind of see some get out and explore a little bit more of the areas but we were able to to spend quite a bit of time in Halifax but it's for sure a city I would live in if it didn't have as long of a winter as it does but we yeah. also lucked out there wasn't that much snow when we were there from what they tell us no uh, it's just it's the wind really you mix that with the cold temperatures and the wind it kind of just goes right through you there's a January and February are pretty brutal here yeah and I think from in the grand scheme of things, we it wasn't as bad as many other winters. Like, oh no, we we didn't we have left, we didn't have much snow at all. Like a yes, yeah. So could have been a lot worse. Completely acceptable, but we'll probably be doing it again. Oh yeah, that's right. So I'm gonna guess this next time we're gonna be getting we'll get absolutely hammered with some true Halifax Eastern Maritimes winter weather. Yeah, no, if if 2020 is any, any indication, <laughs> probably <Yeah>. will. <laughs> uh, so speaking about, yeah, I mean, you guys, you guys have another year to prepare. Um, what's your expectations for Tokyo? Um, Man, I think, I mean, our, our mission hasn't changed. Like our, we are trying to, our goal has been to, we want to stand on the top of the podium. It is, that is our goal. I think 
we have the pitching staff to do it. We have the, we have the team to do it. Um, we have the depth in a lot of spots that we, we aren't usually accustomed to. So, um, that has not changed just because it's, it's a year different, but I think getting everybody in a place where, where we're taking advantage of this extra time and this extra eight months, we have a crew that's a little older that I think is going to have to work even harder and myself included just to make sure we're, we're physically prepared for that again. Like we were in such a good spot and now you're talking about prolonging that out. And it's, it's really hard when you, when you get older to be at that level for that long. And when you're mentally ready, when you mentally have a clock going and you know, it's like, I got two months left. I got like, I'm under a hundred days. And then all of a sudden someone's like, Nope, you're 400 days away. Like you have a whole nother year to do this. Um, it can be like mentally crushing to just, to kind of try to build that desire back. Right. And, and get yourself to a spot where you can physically even just put yourself in the conversation again. So we have an older group who I think is going to, it's going to really challenge them. But on the other side, we have a younger group who has a whole nother year to train and, and to prepare themselves for what they, what they're going to face. And that's going to be, that's going to be really awesome for them. So I think if, if we can find a happy balance where everyone is is getting themselves to a better spot, because the reality is everyone else has eight more months to train and prepare as well. So um, how are we just maximizing individually? How are we maximizing each other to, to get to a little bit higher of a level? Um, I think we're going to be in a very similar spot where we're, we're expecting we're going in with the expectation that we're going to, we're going to try to go win a gold medal. And that's, that's what our, that's what we're playing for each day. Excellent. I mean, that's, that's what pretty much what you have to, <laughs> if you're not going for gold, and you know, what's the sense of going, right? Yeah. <laughs> yep. Besides the Olympic experience. Um, yes. One little thing I like to do here, uh, is do a little player association. I, I throw it a name Ooh. and, uh, you give your thoughts on them. Uh, All right. I'm going to start with, uh, Katrina Clemp. Oh, Clemfy, Clemper. Um, oh, she was, she was, really competitive i want to say she was kind of like show me the way catching and just being like a bulldog competitor from a young age hated to lose and totally appreciated that in her as a teammate uh next one is uh carly win oh she's my robin batman and robin <laughs> um she we were kind of yeah she's like the alter ego she's just honestly like one of the hardest workers most honest, loyal people I've ever met. I actually officiated her wedding um, a few years back when she got married. I was I got to be the officiant at her wedding and oh, marry wow. her, and her husband. Um, yeah, so she's she's a good one. She's she's loyal and compassionate and just a, a great human being. Awesome, awesome. Uh, next on the list is Jen Yi. Jen Yi, I think one of the purest hitters you will ever, I have ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. I mean, to go 60, she, 62 she games just, in a row, <laughs> getting on base, that's yeah. pretty impressive. She just never, she could always find the barrel. Always. Uh, we would be facing guys throwing 80 and she would barrel up a ball through the three, four hole. Like she just, she had a knack for getting her barrel to the ball better than any player I've ever seen. Wow. That's awesome. Current Olympic teammate, Danielle Laurie. Oh, 
she is like the alpha competitor, like the hands down the most competitive person I've ever met in my entire life. Is that right? Like it ever, yeah, she is just, she gets after it and she grinds and she will compete in anything. If you throw a little challenge to her, it is, it is on and totally love that about her. Awesome. Now the next one, he is the podcast before yours. Uh, he says you're the smartest Ooh. catcher he knows and that you may have a doctorate in it. Ryan Boland. Ooh. Yeah, we did a little we did um, a little talk together for something. We did a catching talk. Yeah, he was saying. But I actually haven't yeah, I you know what's I don't think I've ever had I don't think I've ever seen Ryan play, which is unfortunate because we just don't have many opportunities to like see the men's national team program play. So right. I, I but he was awesome. He was good dude. Awesome. Like podcast to be around and he knows his stuff. He just, it's tough when you're not coaching it and in it all the time. You, yeah, it, for sure. You feel like you don't know it, but he totally knows it. Oh yeah. He's, he's <laughs> from the men's side of it. He's phenomenal. Like he's just, <laughs> yeah, he's one of the best catchers in the world for like the last, like nine years, nine or 10 years. Right. And he's, yeah, he's just a, he's just a great guy all around. Yeah. Anyway, uh, well, Actually, was he was he your catcher in was he the national catcher in the Pan Ams at fifteen? He was. Yeah, he been. I wasn't there. Oh, he, then maybe has he? Okay. Yeah, Ryan was there though. Yeah, yeah, he would have been young then though. He would have been in his tw- yeah. He would have been in his twenties. I know that younger much. for men's game. Right. I will say. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Most guys, most guys yeah. in the men's game, we peak in our in our early thirties. So yeah, especially for catchers, catchers always seem to be, they're always, they're the guy that they've, they've had the pitchers had them since they were, there's not many young catchers that are catching the best, the top tier, top five pitchers in the world. It's always a guy that they've had for 10 years that they're super comfortable with. And they just, they want to throw to throw to that person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Ryan has that with, uh, with Sean Cleary from Newfoundland as well. Cleary's like one of the, he's amazing. (laughs) He's hands down one of the best in the world. So, I mean, they have, they have that familiarity with each other and they're just an awesome battery. Yep. Now, one last thing, one last thing before we go, I got, uh, I come across a, a, a little, uh, tidbit that you had that you like to travel and visit baseball stadiums yes how many stadiums have you been to oh good question i think it's 21 i want to say holy cow um yeah well the crazy part is i haven't been to a stadium and probably i think i've been to one in the last maybe four or five years just because with with working and, and playing in the summer i just for whatever reason haven't had the opportunity to get to many um but yeah i got to I did quite a few there for like kind of work them into a road trip. So like one time I had to drive my car down from Canada down to Florida. So hit Detroit hit, I think he did a game in Cleveland and then over to Philadelphia and then drove down kind of something like that where you get three games, but yeah, I got to think about eight or nine more left and then I'll be finished all the stadiums. What What was your favorite one? Ooh, good question. That's a tough one. Um, probably like best, um, just scenery, the San Francisco, the giant stadium is, is pretty, it's pretty amazing. Just looking out onto the Bay. Yeah. Um, surprisingly really nice stadium was Pittsburgh. 
So they have a really cool setup. The wow. Pirate Stadium downtown. Yeah. You the backdrop on the of the lake, bridges. You're on the river yeah. that go through. Yep, the backdrop of the bridges. Um, or Camden Yards is actually kind of low key. One of my more surprisingly good. Not in a great area, but right. uh, a pretty interesting park. Um, New York was okay. The the both of New Yorks were okay. Um, they're more like set up for the fans. The fans make those ones though. Right. Yeah. Um, have you been to Coors Field and, uh, or not Coors? Uh, is that the one in? Yeah. Coors in Colorado. Not, not in Colorado. Sorry. I'm thinking of, uh, Miller Park in, uh, Milwaukee. Yes. That was a, so they're, the cool one about that was that they actually have all the bars downtown. They have little, they have little shuttle buses. So when we got to the hotel right downtown, they like, Hey, can I, can we get a cab to the Miller Park? And they said, Oh, just walk down the street to the, to this bar. They have shuttles that go to and from like, Oh, sweet. So <laughs> after the game, there's like 40 little mini buses lined up and they're selling drinks in the bus. Like it was awesome. It was like a little party. So That's, I, I've been, they to, were, uh, I've been to one game, major league game in my life. And it was, it was at Miller park. Cause I went to the ISCs in 08 and they were in Wisconsin. So yeah, I got to go, got, got to go to a game. That's the only major league game I've been to. And they, they do tailgating there. And yes, I was, it is like, the, it is the frat party. It was unreal. It was amazing. Like the frat party. Yes. Yeah. It was yeah. Just, I was like, this is unreal. I would love, like, yeah. I mean, the park's in like a weird spot in Milwaukee, but I was like, oh, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's, if you want a good time, like that one is, that is, probably up there in, in terms of atmosphere and the surrounding kind of camaraderie of the game for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Kelly, I got to thank you for coming on. This has been a fantastic interview. Um, we're a little over an hour, which is when I'm over an hour, that's the kind of guest I like. <laughs> so, uh, nice. uh I got to thank you for coming on. Uh, maybe we can talk again when you're here in Halifax, that would be possible. Uh, yeah, and maybe try and set something up. But uh, if we don't, I wish you the best of luck at the Olympics. And uh, you know, thanks for coming on. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, and thanks for kind of putting. I know these are these are not easy to do, and they are very time consuming, and all the research that goes into them. So I appreciate you just trying to grow the game and get it out there. And we need more people like that that are, are willing to kind of put in the time to, to keep softball going in Canada. So awesome. appreciate you for sure. Appreciate it, Kaylee. Thank you very much. Awesome. Take care, bud. Thank All right. You. you too. See you later. Chasing a dragon till I get it, I know it well We go day and day, oh, living this like it's show and tell Adrenaline pumping, accelerating through these late nights Addicted to the rush that keeps us up in this insane life Red lipstick, broken wine glass Drink away the pain and blackout time lapse Do it all again, get your lights up Let them know you well known, a prisoner to our cell phone That's why we call them cell phones, it's funny, ain't it? 
obsessed with success, flying high from sugar cane. Fast food burger chain, can't break the routine. Leg day, filling up on protein and poutine. They say, get it done by all means, by all means, we all fiends. Pick your crutch, living in this big world on small screens. Sip your cup and play your odds. Put your dollar in the slot machine, scrub it till the pot is clean. Pick your poison, what's your addiction, huh? Catch a dragon, that's what they say. Shopping mall surface spending every